Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hey, Jam Master A. That's my new nickname for you. <laughs> hey! Jam Master Aaron A. Ryan G. Uh, <laughs> no, this is this is going to be your permanent nickname. Jam Master A. Um, I'll take it. Okay, so I have a question for you this week. Yeah. Who is a celebrity that you think deserves an award-winning biopic? Like a prestige movie about them. One that might be premiering in Cannes? Yes. Uh, that would be Celine Dion. See, uh, wait, we. Oui. <laughs> we. Oui. <laughs> Sorry, I learned Spanish, not French. Uh, like, oh, I took French for 22 years. Or no, 15 years, and that's still the best I could do. <laughs> wait, so there's a Celine Dion movie coming out, and it's and it's premiering at Cannes. How many times did you watch the trailer? Uh Three after I shared it with you yesterday. Yeah. Okay, so I watched it about four or five, then shared it with my best friend. Why did I share it with her, Erin? Because before COVID, Celine Dion was the last concert we saw together at the Barclays Center. And it was one of the most uplifting, jubilant, like nights of my life. Women came in matching outfits. They had dances choreographed. And now we get to see the goofy Chanteurs <laughs> in all of her glory in an inspired by Celine Dion biopic called Is it Aileen? A- Aileen? Aileen? Aileen A? Yeah, I think so. Aileen. Aileen. I can't wait. I will sing along the whole fucking time. It it looks like it's gonna be a really uh if you like Celine Dion and that's your jam, you will probably like this movie a lot. Uh let's get to the show. This week, Julissa Arce and Tian Tran join to tackle the following questions. Hot enough for you? No, seriously, when are we going to take meaningful steps to alleviate climate change? Has the IOC ruined the Olympics? And who could have predicted that Donald Trump's social media site would have gotten hacked right away? Besides everybody. All this and more right now. 
Okay, so last week after we recorded, Alyssa, like within hours, uh, Bill Cosby got out of jail. And I think Allison Mack got sentenced. And I think that uh, Alan Weisselberg, the CFO of Trump, the Trump organization, uh, got some charges filed against him. A lot, of, a lot of crime information. A lot of crime information. A lot of news happened. And so, you know, instead of trying to get out in front of news that will probably change dramatically within the next 10 minutes, if if history proves me right, uh, let's talk about something that isn't going away and isn't changing, and that's climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this week, there's been a few stories that seem to all kind of unite under the banner of, wow, uh, the world seems like it's a little sick right now. Um, New York, where you are, Alyssa, is very hot. How hot is it right there right now? Right now, it's going to get hotter. I think outside, it's about 90 plus, but that's not including the heat index for humidity. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's been, it has, it has fluctuated. And this is the point, too, to... Uh, why we don't want to call it global warming because it was last week, 105. And two days later, it was a high of 62. That's fucked up. And that makes things die. How are you supposed to build when the temperatures are fluctuating like that? That's what I want to know. Um, in the Midwest where uh, my family lives, my sister was talking about, they had, they just ended a, a long drought. It was up in the low one hundreds in Minnesota. Uh, during the winter, it gets to be like 30 below zero there. So that's kind of a hard thing to plan for when it comes to like building stuff. Um, there's also been a huge heat wave on the West Coast in um, in the Pacific Northwest in Portland, in Seattle. Uh, temperatures were so hot that it was like physically dangerous to be outside, even in the shade. And um, right now, California is about to get walloped again with a with another heat wave um inland temperatures are going to be in the 110s uh it's it's really it's it's not great and in florida right now they're bracing for um it was hurricane elsa i don't know if it's been downgraded to a tropical storm currently tropical storm elsa and she just made landfall okay so uh, they're they're also in the middle of searching for bodies in the collapsed rubble of a condo building outside of Miami uh, that they ended up having to, they'll probably end up having to either call off or pause because of this extreme weather. So, um, uh, Alyssa, what is there to be done about all of this right now? Is there anything that can be done? Well, Aaron, a couple things that would be awesome is if people stop denying this was happening, pretending it was normal, um, or just like random, like when you just talked about the heat wave that's in California, we're not talking a couple days. It's starting on Wednesday, today, the day we record, and is expected to go through Monday. In the Pacific Northwest, it wasn't just hot. It was hot for ages. 118 people died. And I learned a new word, hyperthermia. It makes sense, but I didn't know that hyperthermia was when your body gets too hot to live, which is a thing. And so, look, we have heard for years and years, it's like, recycle your plastic bottles, do what you can for the earth. But now we need like actual, real 
intervention so that the earth stops going up like a degree a year or whatever it is now, because this is all very bad. And, you know, in Biden's infrastructure package, there are things that are vitally important that be passed for the good of our country and the world, including $50 billion for infrastructure resilience, $56 billion for modernizing water. So this means getting water to people in rural areas, making sure water is clean, making sure everyone has fucking water, Erin. Can you believe this? We need we need this in a bill in 2021. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the fact that we can't desalinate water in any way that's energy efficient is a testament to the fact that technology really only advances when it can make people a lot of money. Exactly. I do think that the global warming thing has sort of there's only so much we can do to adjust to it. And there are things that I'm hearing uh, climate scientists talk about, and there are things that I'm hearing people just in general talking about that I think are maybe framing things incorrectly. Like, like, and, and, and I'm not trying to pick on you here, but like consumer choice, I think is a really minor factor in all of these things that are causing uh, pollution and excess energy consumption. Like I saw some people in New York City tweeting about how they received a text about turning their air conditioning off. Well, there are there's an entire garden of skyscrapers that have nobody in them that are running the AC right. on blast all day. So like, what the fuck? Why are commercial? Why are consumers the ones that have to to deal with the the consequences of this when commercial buildings and commercial real estate is just kind of home free. Like why are individual people tell it, you know, being told not to water their lawns ever um, when golf courses exist, you know, why commercial interests being allowed kind of unfettered normalcy while consumers are being asked to make all these sacrifices. And it, it just sort of makes me mad. I mean, when I saw the Gulf of Mexico on fire this past weekend, ah! uh, that's a sentence I never thought I would say. There was a, a leak of an oil pipeline that caused a fire in the ocean that had to put out, be put out by other water. Um, it looked cool. I will say that. Uh, it looked like the trailer for the new Independence Day or Armageddon. Yeah, it really, it really did look like Cthulhu was on his way up to be like, sup guys, here I am. Told you I was coming. Now here I am. Um, yeah, it just it it's really it's upsetting because I don't think I think consumers are told that they need to like turn off their sprinklers or take less long showers, which they should be doing. Like it's not you know you shouldn't be hanging out in the shower for half an hour, but it's also like they're seeing all of this guidance aimed at them when you know there's so much being wasted in the way that you know, agriculture is, is take is being done, especially in like California. There's not really a ton of incentive for people to water their like massive fields of crops in a way that's, that recycles water is environmentally friendly or anything like that. So, I mean, I, I think it's sort of like, you know, the feeling that, that people got when, you know, there'd be all these COVID guidelines and then, you know, the governor of Cal, you know, the governor would be photographed at a five-star dinner without a mask on yeah. and people, regular people were sort of like, well, fuck you then. Like, why am I doing any of this? That's how I feel. Totally. That's how I kind of feel like environmental guidelines 
function when it comes to consumers because we see what everyone else is doing and it's like, well, well, fuck you then, you know? It is like, well, it's exactly to your point. You know, all the people in the Pacific Northwest were told, can you turn your air, like, like people don't put your air conditioners on, you're going to short out the grid. And it's like, it's a, a hundred plus degrees and the solution to the energy problem is to tell people in homes to not cool themselves. Like, how is there not another solution? Like you said, why not clear out the skyscrapers and be like, you know what? We're just going to turn the air conditioning off here mm-hmm. for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Now, look, there may be reasons. We don't need people tweeting at us that like if you turn it down, it, it's too hard to cool it back down. What the fuck ever. OK, the point is that real people who work hard every day, the solution to our climate problem is not telling them to broast during a heat wave here on the West coast, the, the super high, like super high temperatures cause water to evaporate more quickly, which cause drier conditions, which cause forest fires, which if you're somebody that lives anywhere near a place where there are forest fires, that's super bad for your lungs. Like it's really bad to super be breathing bad. that stuff in. And, uh, if you're raising a child and, or you're, you're, you know, someone who is otherwise vulnerable, it's, you can't, it's, it's not sustainable to for you to live in a place like that. And if you're not somebody who has the mobility to leave a place where there's a lot of fires, that could lead to like really terrible health outcomes. I mean, people I think are unwilling to admit that the climate change crisis is also like a public health mm-hmm. problem, you know, and uh, it's it's like we would save a ton of money on all of the problems that people are dealing with as a result of climate change if we only took some basic steps to make sure that people were safe in the, you know, in the meantime and then in the long term we're not we're not making the problem worse. It's fucking deep. Yeah, um I I also wanted to say I I saw a story out of Canada that that really felt like an Alyssa story for me, which is that fruit is cooking on the vines. Yes. It's cooking on the vine. That's all that ruined jam. Did you feel sad when you saw that story? I felt so sad for it. And, you know, I also learned here because we had a spate of like five days of terrible rain, which is like super unusual for this time of year. Normally we're in a drought. And uh, so your story broke. uh, There were two pieces of my heart that broke. One was that the fruit here may be dissolving from all of the rain and in other places it is cooking to death. Um, neither of which is good for anybody. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've thought about during this kind of spate of climate related stories is how I'm worried that not taking environmental precautions are going to start to be political signifiers. Like, you know how someone not wearing a mask in the grocery store is like, ah, I know, I know all about you. I know what you're doing, you know? Um, I feel like driving past someone's house and they've got a big green lawn will be like, I know. Sprinklers on. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Or like, you know, a a giant truck in a suburb. It's like, you're not. I wish that we could have like lawn signs that, that you just left around that said bad citizen. You're a bad citizen. You're a bad global citizen. You're a bad citizen on my neighborhood. You're a bad neighbor. Like it's uh, stuff like that is because then it makes it so hard because you know that your sacrifice when you're like, you know what? This is for the greater good is like you think to yourself, you're like, well, I'm not doing my lawn is dead. My bushes are dead. My fruit is cooked. And this guy down, this terrible person mm-hmm. is not 
facing any consequences Mm -hmm. for his bad citizenship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think to that, yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely come to that conclusion as well. But I think that what's really important when we're talking about this is that all of us from the big green yard people to the little brown cactus yard people to the apartment people understand that we need to fight the real enemy, which is not each other. It's billionaires, commercial real estate, giant like, carbon. you know, it's it's carbon, it's fossil fuel companies. It's not it's I mean, it is kind of each other, to, but to a much lesser extent than it is to those like giant polluters. Well, do you remember when I sometimes, you know, we really are political witches, but back when Trump pulled America out of the climate agreement, we said that that was like one of his acts of treason, that that was like a real act of treason Mm -hmm. because it was such a permission structure for other countries in the world to be like, if America says it's fine. So like, fuck him for that too. God, he sucks. His, he sucks, dude. he's, He's terrible. He was so bad while he was in office and everything that he did in office is proving in retrospect to be even as terrible worse. as we yeah, thought. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so we solved the climate crisis. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Olympics. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details.
And welcome back. We have reached the part of the show where it's not just me and Alyssa anymore. We are joined by two lovely women. You know and love both of them, and neither really needs an introduction, but I'm going to give both of them introductions. Anyway, first up, she is the author of the forthcoming book, You Sound Like a White Girl, Julissa Arce. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. And um, the book is now available for pre-order, so... Put in your pre-order. I am in love with the cover, so please go pre-order my new book. That uh, the cover is awesome. Did you get to handpick the designer, or like, do you do you know who did it? No, I mean, I know the name of the person, but I don't get to pick them. Like the publisher assigns them to you, but you do get to like give feedback. Um, so like the color of the cover before was a, like a teal um, color, but I really wanted it to be like to pop and so the pink that's on the cover is not pink for like girl it's like a uh it's called rosa mexicano so it's like a very <gasps> mexican color that like i had those th- that was the color at my wedding and i just like love that color it reminds me so much of like my culture my my place of birth um so that's that's the that's the pink on the cover i i really really love it Oh, you really hit the jackpot designer wise. That's it's really cool. You and Dana Schwartz both have incredible yeah, true. book covers. Um, it's a good company to be in. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and uh, last but not least, and by last, I mean second. Um, she is, we've been calling her the queen of Illinois. It is uh, Tien Tran. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Uh, Tien, I am reading a book right now where there is a character who is the king of Michigan, and it is. I was like, wow. I feel like <laughs> all of the Midwest Tien. is under <laughs> royalty. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's a post-apocalyptic Kurt Vonnegut book about you know the the last post-America, and there is a king of Michigan, and it's quite a quite a ride. Um, anyway, welcome to you both. I'm really excited to talk about the topic that we are about to talk about. Alyssa, you and I are both big Olympic stands. Like, I feel like we've both got some really I love it. deep abiding love for the Olympics. Um, Tien, I know you're a huge fan of the Olympics. I know you're a huge fan of certain aspects of the Olympics. Um, and Julissa, I know you have a lot to say about <laughs> jingoism and hypernationalism. And I feel like this is a great opportunity for us to talk about the gathering shit show that is Tokyo 2020 in the year 2021. <laughs> um, Tien, I want to start with you. How do you feel generally about the Olympics taking place uh, this month in Japan? First and foremost, I think they should be canceled. Like, I I have such a love-hate relationship with the Olympics. I both love all of the, like, athletic stories that come out of it. You all know that I love the U.S. women's national team. It pains me so much that... <laughs> I love them so much. Um, <laughs> and I I really think like just everything that I'm reading about it, and I think we can talk about this later too, but the Olympics have just had a history of being bad for the cities that they end up taking place in. Um, but just the way that it's being handled, I saw a thread yesterday from a journalist that was like, I'm the COVID liaison for this and I don't have any answers for my group on how we're being taken care of, how people are being protected. I think we're just having a bunch 
of people from all around the world coming to one place and we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems a little bit like uh, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has decided that they're going to uh, ask forgiveness and not permission mm -hmm. and hope that, you know, and by the time any bad effects have happened as a result of bringing people from all over the world together for an athletic competition on an island where something like 10% of people are vaccinated, um, I think that they're just going to have, they're going to take the money and, and be like, whoops, sorry, mm -hmm. by the time any bad effects are felt. Julissa, how do you feel about the Olympics taking place this year? Do you feel better or worse than you normally feel? And how do you normally feel? Hmm. So my normally feel might surprise you. Um, but how I currently feel is that 83% of people in Japan, according to a survey, say they don't want the Olympics to take place. And so I feel like we should all feel like the people of Japan feel because ultimately it's going to affect them the most. And if they don't want the Olympics to happen, then they shouldn't happen. Um, I think that it's probably a little too late for them not to happen because it's like a moving train that can't be stopped anymore. Um, but yeah, all of those concerns about how low um, low uh, rates of vaccination, I mean, there's already been, the last time I checked, three or five athletes that have tested positive for, for COVID. I heard things like they're not going to be passing out condoms in like the Olympic village because they don't want to like encourage people to like hook up. That'll stop. That'll stop them. That'll stop them. Yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. I'm like, you're just making a problem worse. Like now we're going to be not just spreading COVID, but like potentially STDs, um, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> oh God. Uh, if you still haven't left your home country and you are an athlete, uh, bring your own condoms. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a it's it's a disaster and it should really I mean, you know, the disaster really started even before the pandemic. Right. With all of sort of the corruption that was going on um, with uh, with the Olympics and. I mean, initially, I think the people of Japan were super excited to have the Olympics in Japan because it was a sort of like recovery from the tsunami and a sort of like where Japan is is back. Um, and but, you know, it's been plagued with corruption and now everything going on with COVID. And it just feels like we're living in two worlds, one which is like the world of vaccinated people in the Western world and then the rest of the world who has to like abide by our standards and say like, oh, well, we're over the pandemic. Like we have indoor dining. So like, let's go have a, a worldwide event. So I think they should be canceled. How I normally feel, um, I actually kind of really love the Olympics. And because I love sports, this is the only one time where... I think it's acceptable to like cheer for your country um, because I'm definitely the kind of person who when I'm walking or when I'm uh, driving around anywhere, if I see a U.S. flag on someone's front porch flying, I immediately think a racist person lives in that house. <laughs> like I just I just do like I don't make the rules but that's just what's become a rule. And, you know, if you don't like it, go talk to your people because it's not my fault that the U.S. flag has become a symbol of hatred and racism. Um, however, you know, at, I was just at the Mexico game, the Mexico-Nigeria, which was a friendly game. And I mean, I was like, you know, people were wearing Mexican flags and and I was draped in a Mexican flag and I was cheering for Mexico. Um but I feel like my nationalism for Mexico is different because it's like the thing that this country wants to take away from me 
always like my Mexican identity. And so I want to hang on to it more. Um, so I love I love the Olympics generally. Um, I don't usually cheer for the U.S. though, except for in gymnastics. Um, usually I cheer for like all the other like, you know, the, the, the country that has like the one athlete that made it to the Olympics. <laughs> I'm just like, right. yes, you know, I want that person to win the gold medal. Um, yeah, so it's all conflicting feelings. You know, it's all it's all it's all very conflicting. Um, but at this point in time. I, I wish that we weren't putting an entire country at risk because of the money that's involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, as I think the resident biggest fan of pageantry and pomp <laughs> here today, how do you feel about the Olympics in general? And, and what do you think about what's happening in Tokyo? And another kind of tag to that is, um, you know, now we're finding out or we're learning or, or we're all maybe grown up enough to absorb the idea that the IOC is a very corrupt organization uh, that's very exploitative. Um, Has it gotten worse? Is the IOC like ruining the Olympics or have the Olympics always been kind of ruined, but we just are now talking about it more? Okay, let's take the last one first. So you guys, true story. I was in Copenhagen in 2009 or 2010 when the IOC was picking the city for 2022. I don't remember, but Chicago was up for it. And so Michelle Obama was there. Oprah was there. And it is like the fucking weirdest deal. It's like the Iowa caucuses on steroids for how a city gets picked. And it's like, you have princes from these countries who show up and then you're like in the hallways and there's like all this like vote trading. That's like, (laughs) Hey, look, I know my city's not going to get it, but like, I'll vote for you. If you then vote for me for the World Cup for 2024 or whatever it is. And you start hearing all these rumors and you don't know what's true and what's not, but it ain't right and it ain't on the level. And so that was my first real window. And it sounded as if it's probably been more corrupt in years past, but now social media and news are shining a light on how fucked up it is. And so it's actually, I think, maybe a little bit better than it used to be. I think that I think a lot of those like... I think a lot of cities maybe got picked with bags of money back in the past, but who am I, who am I to, to, you know, share widely shared rumors and gossip? The Salt Lake City is one that we can widely acknowledge had some kind of... It is. And you know, here's my view too, because these are such infrastructure nightmares for the cities and the people, there should be one city on every continent that should be, it should rotate like, you know, in the same order. And, and that is, that is all that should be there. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll let there be two cities per continent f- to accommodate winter and summer opportunities. <laughs> but other than that, it should be like that. And I fucking love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. You guys, part of me, I think it's because I am older than everyone. So I lived through a lot more years of not having cable. So when the Olympics came, it was like something great to watch on television. And I think that like, if you... Th- Here's why I love it. I think it's very unifying in the following way. We've all done one thing that is like represented in the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? Like 
For 15 minutes in the mid-80s, I held the 12 and under record for 50-meter butterfly, you know, in (laughs) swimming. Okay, for like five whole minutes. And so it's like, I think all of us tried something that we see, you know, that we weren't that great at. And so you know what it took for that person. And it's the time, if no other time, it's the time when stories of people who, who really sacrificed, whose families really sacrificed, who gave up everything, like like the story of Debbie Thomas. And I mean, I loved Debbie Thomas so much. It was so sad that Katerina Vitt got her every single time. But like those, to me, that's, that's what makes it great is that it's a time to celebrate people who have actually fucking worked their asses mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And, you know, it's sad. It's sad what's happening now because I think the stories that are being highlighted are the people who've worked their asses off who are getting denied for not arbitrary reasons, but it feels like there was higher ground to take with a lot of this stuff and it just wasn't taken. And so that's a real fucking bummer. You brought up a good point about like the athletes and how hard they work. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the reason why I sort of make a conscious decision to sort of separate the entities to like the persons because like these people give up their whole entire lives to dedicate themselves to their craft and to their, to their art. And, um, and I do really, I mean, even, even when you said that and this, I said, oh yeah, they should be canceled. Like, I guess when I stop and I put myself in the shoes of someone who's been training for like five, six years and, you know, the Olympics were already postponed from last year And then they kept training, you know, they had to extend their training, extend their like dietary restrictions, extend all of these things um, for one more year for now to then be canceled again. Like I I, I do feel for the athletes and Mm -hmm. I wish there was a world in which you could do both, like keep the entire country safe and like honor the hard work and sacrifices of the athletes. I totally agree. I was just going to say, like, and there are some athletes that have such incredible stories, like uh, American gymnast Suni Lee Mm -hmm. is, uh, she's from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and she's Hmong-American. I think she's the first Mm Hmong-American gymnast to be on the U.S. team. And she has, like, five siblings, and her dad was, like, paralyzed a couple years ago. And she's just, like, just like so fun to watch and so dynamic and it's so exciting that she made the team. But at the same time, for every Suni Lee, there's a Shikari Richardson, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like she is, uh, you know, she was banned from competition. She's the sprinter who was banned from competition for um, taking pot as a performance enhancing drug. And, you know, and then there's the story of uh, U.S. Sw- or Olympic swimming wanting to ban a type of swim cap that is designed to cover natural kinky hair, which is a lot of times a type of hair that black women would have. Um, so it, it seems to me like all of these hardworking athletes are kind of unfairly being used as smoke screens for the shit that the IOC is trying to pull both on a like economic level when it comes to the cities that are hosting mm-hmm. and on a like personnel level when they're unfairly banning athletes or testing them for ho- hormone levels and stuff. And Tian, you looked like you had something to say also. Well, I was going to speak to like the fact that what's what I love the most about the Olympics is those athlete stories and that they are like to me cross lines of nationality like 
that that is the thing. Like I, I feel like everyone can root for a story separate from what country they are representing, which is like my favorite part about the Olympics. Because as someone who I know I wrote for the U.S. Women's National Team, but for other sports, like I, I just love watching people be wherever they're from the best at what they're doing and watching just someone who has worked, like you said, worked so hard to get to the the point that they are. But on the other hand, you know, like you were saying, Aaron, it's like they work so hard. We're letting the IOC kind of arbitrarily just cut dreams short for people from outdated rules that feel like they're rooted in some, not feel, they're rooted in like systemic racism. So I think if we're going to continue to have the Olympics, like I think it's like abolish the IOC, like let's have some more thoughtful ways of kind of having these like games and showing these athletes um, in different ways. You know, the thing about Shikari um, Richardson. Okay. So first of all, I have never, ever, ever done a smoked pot or taken an edible and been faster. Or like been more athletic. <laughs> like it is quite the opposite of what happened. So to think that like marijuana is somehow uh enhancing drug is just kind of silly. It's not like something that's making her stronger. Like if anything, it's like having the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that it really brought up for me hearing her story was, you know, this like random reporter asking her about her mom dying. And so it's like what you know, I feel like the media has ruined so many things like with Naomi Osaka, right? Like she had to like pull out of the French Open because of because the media was just not leaving her alone. They were relentless. And I think like, you know, first of all, she doesn't Shakari doesn't need an excuse to smoke weed like weed mm-hmm. is legal in Oregon. It's 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 been decriminalized in many places. We know how many black and brown lives um, marijuana has ruined because of how we are criminalized. Um, so that aside, like she didn't need an excuse, but I do think like, what if this reporter hadn't asked such an intrusive question about her biological mom dying? Maybe she wouldn't have been in such a, in such a terrible place, right? Um, where she, where that was like the only, like in her, her own words, like that was the only place where she felt like she could hide. Right. And like, how sad is that, that, you know, what kind of mental health um, are is the U.S. Uh, providing to its athletes as they have been navigating this like horrible circumstances? So I think that's part of the problem is like the media and their involvement and how they don't leave people alone, whether it's athletes or celebrities or just like even normal everyday people. The other thing that it really kind of stood out for me was, um, you know, this testosterone test um, for for some women um, and how they came back like higher, but their natural testosterone, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't like enhancing. And so I just think that all of these tests, whether it's these testosterone tests or like the caps that are like they said that they they didn't um, they didn't allow those those swim caps because they did not follow the natural shape of the head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's, who's, whose head, you know, whose mm-hmm. testosterone levels? Because uh, if your diet is different and like the things that you eat in your culture are different, you're going to have different, uh, different levels for different things. And so I think that as long as all of these tests have a Western, AKA white standard, people of color will ultimately continue to be penalized in like every area of life, as long as white is the standard against which we are measuring everything. And ultimately 
That's the problem. Totally. Yeah. Well, and the part about Shikari Richardson that was so disappointing, and she said it, look, I mean, and this is, we can like it, we cannot like it. The rules are the rules, right? And she acknowledged that she broke the rule. However, the U.S. Olympic team had the opportunity and could have let her run in the 100-meter relay and... You know, they decided to say, well, she had smoked the pot during her qualifying time. They fucking know she qualifies. They could they could have done this, you know, and that to me was the part where they just went beyond what is a known rule. And they had some latitude and they decided to not use it for good. Mm -hmm. I know. I think that kind of goes with too, like that we as a society and those who govern like the, the governing bodies of athletics all hold athletes to a ridiculous high, mm-hmm. sta- like a ridiculously high standard that have the average person, or actually not, no, like some of these standards, should, we shouldn't be kind of in, like enforcing them. They're just outrageous. And to the point where like it leads to these situations where people are making decisions based on their own mental health and like they're being punished for it. Um, we're setting a terrible precedent if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think to go along with that, you know, the Olympic athletes, this is like the, this is the biggest stage that a lot of athletes in a lot of sports could ever possibly be on. And I think fame and a stage this big is a mind fuck for almost anybody, even like, you know, college athletes, NBA athletes who suddenly become stars who are already like knocking on the door. It's like, it's a huge, it's a huge mindfuck. Fame is a mindfuck. And a lot of them haven't been like adequately prepared for the way that it will function for them. And I also think that the media is un, is very unforgiving of imperfections or mistakes that they might've made. Now I'm not talking about that U S swimmer who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Like that's the kind of mistake that it's like, okay, yeah, fuck, fuck that guy, you know, but I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking about mistakes where maybe somebody said something clumsy on social media. Uh, like I saw people tweeting about Shakari Richardson, not liking the Lil Nas X video where he uh, gives Satan a lap dance. I personally thought the video was amazing. And I think he's a publicity genius. Uh, the fact that Shakari Richardson didn't like it and found it offensive does not make her a bad athlete that's like not worth cheering for. She expressed an opinion. She wasn't like throw Lil Nas X in jail. She just was like, I found the video offensive. Fine. You know, I think that holding people to this like weird, they have to not only be perfect, like great athletes who don't do anything to enhance themselves. They also have to be mentally equipped to handle the pressure of being on a stage that big And they have to uh, have like personal views that are ready for prime time, which I think is is really, really unfair. I know. I've always found it so annoying when the media is like that athlete, the criticism after like a press conference is like that athlete was very short and maybe not like personable enough. And you're like, (laughs) that person just worked their ass off for hours in front of a crowd of people going 110%. And now you want them to sit and talk to you and give you like perfect sound bites. Like, I think that's outrageous. (laughs) Oh my God. Tien, I live, I live in a a part of LA where like the 
that you have to take stairs from the street to the houses. So my house is up like five flights of stairs. And I don't even like it when my husband talks to me when I come inside <laughs> from coming up the stairs. <laughs> oh my I'm like, God. You, need to, you need to give me 30 seconds before you're asking me questions about where things are in the cupboards. And like, I cannot imagine like just having finished like, a 10,000 meter race and being expected to like have a sound bite. I know my partner, I just bike, I've been biking around and every time I come into the apartment, she's like, are you mad at me? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the thing. Like they're not mad. They just, can you just give them a couple minutes? Like let, let them catch their breath. Um, well, let's, let's focus instead of on the, the IOC deserves like all the, the bad press and this bad scrutiny that it's getting for all the reasons that we talked about here for the fact that it's holding the Olympics in a country that doesn't want them, that isn't really prepared for them, especially right on the heels of the Euro cup being essentially what people predicted the Euro cup would be, which was a, a, a an incubator for various, it was, it was, it was like an orgy for germs, you know, all around the world coming together, swapping pins and then going back to different countries with memories. Um, so we kind of know what's about to happen. The IOC deserves all the the bad press it's getting over this and different ways that it's been exploitative. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that the next Olympics are in China, which I don't think I'll be able to watch. I think that's like that's like a bridge too far for me. Um yeah. And it's like coming up this winter. So I, I think this is probably the last Olympics for a little while for me. Um, Alyssa, let's talk instead of all the, the bad stuff. Let's talk a little bit about some of our favorite moments of athletes that worked hard and overcame. So in your long career of watching the Olympics on first, you know, a rabbit ears TV powered by gerbils and then, you know, cable, wh- what are some of your favorite moments from the athletes? Oh, you guys, when Midori Ito landed a quad in competition, uh, that was in like 84 or 88. Um, I really love the ice skating. I love, even though I was only four years old for it, when the Americans beat Russia in Lake Placid for hockey, (laughs) I have watched the movie Miracle. (laughs) probably 400 times. I can, when I am down in the dumps, I will put that on and my husband will come in the room. He'll be like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm Michael Ruzioni. I play for the United States of America. I mean, it's like, (laughs) that is, uh, and of course I know which ones went to the University of Wisconsin to coach and which went to Minnesota. But no, I mean, to me, I just had so much Like, especially, I think for me, it was really ice skating because it was nothing I could really do. Janet Evans swimming, though. I mean, like the sheer strength and power. And I love when the thing I love about swimming is that you can watch every meter, every every like inch of it happening. You can be like, pull harder, pull harder. (laughs) You can do it. And, you know, so for me, Janet, Janet Evans was, I mean, at the the time at that Olympics, I think she was like the most decorated uh, female swimmer of all time. And so, I mean, those are, I see Midori Ito landing a quad, everything Debbie Thomas ever did, including, um, messing up her long program every time against Katerina Vitt when they both, they both did the long program to Carmen. I remember. Um, (laughs) so those are my big, sorry, I don't have a lot of dude memories. Mine, mine are mostly, (laughs) mine are mostly ladies. Don't apologize for that. That's the ideal state, honestly. Uh, Julissa, do you have some favorite memories of athletes in the Olympics? Um, 
I don't have a very good long-term memory. Um, so I don't think I remember specifically, but since you brought up movies, I think one of my favorite Olympic movies is Cool Running. Yes. You know, with the Jamaica team. <laughs> like, yes, I wish I had been, I don't think I was alive when it happened in real life. Um, but I, and I had not just, I had not watched the movie until during the pandemic. And so that was like a very nice treat of uh, like an Olympic moment, uh, an Olympic moment to watch. So, yeah, that's all I got. Okay, Tiana, I can predict what your what some of your favorites are. Okay, uh, but I would love to hear from you. <laughs> I want to see if I'm. I want to see if I'm right. I mean, my first is when the U.S. won the two top U.S. women's national team won the 2012 Olympics in London because it was kind of like the last hurrah of some of the big stars that were crossing between generations. So you had people like Abby Wambach was still playing and starting and like Hope Solo was still playing, but you also had people like Alex Morgan coming up. So it was just like the perfect bridge between the two generations and seeing them win was so fun. Um, as a kid, I loved Mag the Magnificent Seven of like <laughs> Carrie Strug and like that time of like Dominique Mochianu, Dominique Dawes, just like loved all of them. Also loved Simone Biles, that team. What was, was they have Fab Five, right? Fab I think five. so, yeah. The Fab Five. And I loved watching Carrie Walsh and Misty May trainer um, until I found out that Carrie Walsh was an anti-masker. But oh, <laughs> no. until then... Loved watching beach volleyball and seeing them win. Oh, yeah. I think they won like three in a row. I am just look. This is this is like a this is a dumb take. But every time I watch beach volleyball, I am like so impressed that they're able to be so athletic, wearing such small amounts of clothing. Like <laughs> I would be terrified of like parts of me flying out, but I guess that's what happens when you're that like muscular and like in control of your like physical presence. <laughs> you know, I, I love watching the track and field. I loved, uh, I loved watching like Florence Griffith Joyner, Jackie Joyner, Kersey when I was very little, like we would get our weekly readers in school and there would be like Olympics preview, like before we went away for the summer. And, uh, I remember, uh, some of the incredible like nail art on the female track stars <laughs> yeah. and how, like, how like flamboyant and cool, like the hairstyles, the nails, the like, I love the like swagger of female track athletes, like free female sprinters and hurdlers and how like just completely like feeling themselves they are. It's so like if my baby is a little girl, I want her to look at women like that and be like, yep, that's that's cool. That is cool. Like what women can be that strong and like happy and confident and good at what they're doing and not apologize for it. And I, I think that's part of the reason I was so sad about Shikari Richardson, because she's such, such a like inspiring presence for those reasons. She's so like confident and good at what she does. And like, I think the world will be worse for being deprived of seeing her on the world stage showing everybody like how good she is. I also love watching, like, look, watching marathons is not fun because they take like two hours and 25 <laughs> minutes. Um, but the final lap of a marathon is usually around the 
the um, stadium, the Olympic stadium. And in some cases, um, athletes don't realize that they're about to medal until they get into the stadium. So like in 2004 in Greece, there was a, a U.S. marathoner named Dina Castor who ran into the stadium and found out that she was going to win a bronze medal. And she like starts bawling. And it's like this, it's the most, like, I'm going to cry just even thinking about it. It's on my cry playlist on YouTube whenever I really just need to like, (laughs) just like express my tear ducts. I just, I go, I go and watch it. So it's just, I agree with everyone that it's really fun to watch people just completely at the top of their game. And, uh, and you know, it doesn't really, I've kind of, when I was little, I would always cheer for the USA, but as I've gotten older, I kind of just, cheer for whatever athlete I like the best. And it, I've kind of decoupled it from nationalism. And it's just, you know, it's, it's great for them and for all the hard work they've done. I just wish that the organization that makes it possible or impedes it from being better than it should be, uh, would get out of the way. Um, and so it was more about the athletes and less about the distractions. And I, and I wanted to end by saying this, you know, I live in Los Angeles think the Olympics are supposed to be here in 2028. I am getting the fuck out of here <laughs> before they are here. I do not want to be in this city at that point. I don't know how we're going to do it. But, you know, Godspeed to whatever, what, 10-year-old now is is currently training to be a gold medalist in 2028. <laughs> So um, I think that that wraps up what we're going to talk about uh, when it comes to the Olympics. There's a lot of sports stuff to talk about this week. I wanted to talk about the Rachel Nichols thing, but I feel like that's a, it's an own its own very long conversation about how. Yeah, there's we can we can get into that, but we will get into it in a future episode. Um, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I feel petty. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Welcome back. The show is almost over, but not quite, because we have dumb shit to get mad about before we go. It is, I feel petty. These are things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but that have really gotten under our skin this week, or possibly forever. So let's get going. Julie said, do you want to start us off? Yes, just a disclaimer, though. I do actually think this kind of matters in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> and I always, like, I always... Um, I never get the assignment right with um, I feel petty. <laughs> um, but um, OK, so it's somewhat sports. OK, so one is sports related. There are two things that are related. Um, OK, so first with the sports thing. So um, Mexican national team, um, the fans um, have this really terrible saying where the opposite goalie is like kicking the ball and they say um, puto, right, which is like a Sometimes it's used as a derogatory term for gay people. And so um, the the 
um, FIFA has decided, you know, it's it's really offensive. And so they're going to start like they stop the game when the fans say it and like make an announcement about how it's offensive. And in a recent um, in a recent game, they actually find Mexico because the fans were saying it. And then for the next two games, the games had to be played without fans as like punishment for uh, for Mexican fans saying this word, which I I would uh, support and I very much support that we stop using that word. Like, let's actually get more creative with our chants and like not use words that are offensive to a group of people. However, I think it's incredibly hypocritical that FIFA did that to, to the Mexican fans and to Mexico when the next World Cup is in Qatar, where it is literally a, a crime. It is illegal to mm-hmm. be gay. People are jailed for being gay. People are killed for being gay. And so it just feels very performative that like we're going to slap a wrist on Mexican fans and not allow them to come cheer their team because they say this word. But then we're going to have an we're going to have the most important FIFA tournament in the whole entire world in a country that is incredibly anti-gay. So I just wish that the that the actions aligned. So I think, you know. FIFA needs needs to do something about that. Um, and I feel very petty about the fact that, like, we couldn't go watch games. And yet, like, other people are going to, everybody's going to go to a country where it's illegal to be gay. Like, I think that's just dumb. Um, and then the other thing that is somewhat related, and it's about language and the words that we use. And Elisa, you reminded me of it before we started recording, which is how Twitter is banning people for um, using the word gringo. Like for people calling like, it's like if I was like, add Aaron, you know, you're such a cute gringa. They're banning then, like, people I would for get that? banned. Yes. What? People have been banned Crazy. on Twitter wow, for using wow, the wow. word gringo. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, you know what feels oppressive? What feels oppressive is that you're using our native language against us. Like mm-hmm. gringo uh-huh. is not a derogatory term. It literally just means a white person. And if you are offended because I called you a white person, then you need to go investigate that. <laughs> you know? I mean, honestly, you know, I have a shirt that has the word gringo on it. It says, help stamp out gringo food, eat at Garcia's Kitchen, Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> like, and it shows, and it's like a cartoon pepper stamping on a hot dog. And it's like very funny. So I feel very petty about those things. Very much so. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I'd never heard, I hadn't heard of that yet. And like, to me, gringo, is like less offensive than being called like Karen at this point. <laughs> Agree. Yeah, but the death threats can keep going. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. all, all those crazy violent things. Just let those stay on. Yeah, we got to protect white people's feelings. Let's not offend white people who don't even really know what it means or like the context. Look, and yet white people still eat at a restaurant called Cracker Barrel. So... <laughs> Um, there you go. Tien, uh, what do you feel petty about this week? Julia, see, you chose both two things that are impactful and important. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to follow up with the fact that I know it's a very 
new technology that they're trying out. But Google, when you say restaurants are open and I show up and try to get food and they're not, it's very upsetting to me. Um, I recently, (laughs) I had a craving. This happened the other day. I had a craving for Panda Express. Do not cancel me. I love it so much. It's like my go-to vice. And I walked to, uh, I looked online and it said it was opened. And I got there and it's been closed for a while now. So Google, I need you to update your restaurant hours of operation because I can't show up after walking in the heat expecting orange chicken and lo mein and not getting it at all. It ruined my it ruined my day. That's what I feel petty And do about. they not know that you're the queen of Illinois? And I'm the queen. Like, yeah. hello. <laughs> I'm the queen of Illinois. And when I want stores to be open in my jurisdiction, they should be open. <laughs> Google has been so bad lately with knowing if things are I open. Know. It has been... Like during pandemic, it was fine. It was like, okay, I get it. You're not going to be totally up to it, but come on. But you guys, don't the stores have to update it? Is it the stores? How would Google know? I don't know how that works. (laughs) Because this happened. So I only say, because this happened to me the other day. I checked for a store on Main Street to see if it was open. I look and it says, you know, that it's open and I get down there and it's closed. And then I go down the next day and it's closed again when it says it should definitely be open and was not July 5th. And so I kind of think the stores have to update the oh, really? info. Yeah, I don't think that like Google satellites. I mean, that makes anything. that totally makes sense. <laughs> I've just been imagining that there's just one dedicated <laughs> team at Google that's like updating every single small business and business operation. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, well, what is Google even for? Like, if they can't exactly figure that out, like you know everything about where I've gone. Good point. Good point. You know, they you- should know if there's activity happening at that location, and if there's not, they should say may not be open. <laughs> Right. Exactly. That seems like, come on, guys. You know, you know what my f- face looks like. You can like, I don't yeah, know. we're it asking seems... Google to be more invasive. OK, I need you to figure it out. We're asking Google. Google should just take the information they have <laughs> and use it in a way that is helpful. Like, I think just for every evil thing they do, they should do a correspondingly benign to helpful thing. That is not too much to ask. My standards are low. Um Guys, this is petty in the true spirit of pettiness um, in that I am taking I am gleefully processing a news story that has nothing to do with me. Um, It's 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 schadenfreude, but I love it. Um, So Donald Trump, the former president, current Florida man uh, and his minion, uh, his his thumb shaped minion, Jason Miller, Uh, started a social media site that launched last week. It's called Getter, which is so stupid. Uh, It's it's a stupid name that I feel like is maybe a a blue-collar comedy callback, uh, which is a joke (laughs) that they didn't come up with with a comedian. Anyway, it's, it's, it's just, it's exactly what you would expect. It is the Trump graphic design of technology. Um, So it launched this past weekend and uh, half a million people signed up, which just so you know, is what, one in 600 Americans. So it's not that many, not that many people. Um, 500,000 people registered to use the site. And within a matter of hours, Getter was hacked. Getter (laughs) (laughs) 
Getter was hacked, uh, and uh, including people on Getter, uh, including sec- former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Jason Miller, which is hilarious, um, had their profiles altered to read, Juba Baghdad was here. Follow me in Twitter, smiley face. <laughs> uh, I just think that's great. I think it's, you know, I- I've gotten to a point where I do not feel sympathy for people constantly touching the hot stove of Trump land and getting burned over and over again, especially since the reason they're touching the stove over and over again is because they're delusional racists. So uh, it's, this is, this is fine for me. I um, I'm, I'm glad that Gitter got hacked. I, I, I praise Juba Baghdad for his, his work on this specifically. I don't know what else he's done in his life, but this specifically was good work. And, uh, I really can't wait to see how it gets hacked next. And that's what I feel petty about this week. I feel like that's an aspirational petty. Oh, it's great. Alyssa, why don't you bring us home? What are you feeling petty about this week? Okay, guys, I'm going to just bring this full circle because my petty is Olympic themed. And here is what I'm pissed about of all the things, okay, of all the money that goes to the Olympics, of all the money they raise, of all the money in the Olympics. How is it possible that all the Olympic shit isn't made in America? Like, how is it the uniforms should all be made in America? The opening ceremony gear should all be made in America. The closing ceremony gear should all be made in America. And I just don't understand with all of the artisans and companies we have here, all of the clothiers, how is it that it's not all made? And the truth is in 2008, this was a very big deal because remember Ralph Lauren had done like the opening ceremony outfits or something for China. And people were like, whoa, I think this shit was made in China. And everyone was like, that's well, but they're still doing it. And like Kim Kardashian got some contract for Skims. Skims is making the loungewear and that sent me down the rabbit hole of her website to see if any of her shit didn't have imported underneath like fabric care. And it didn't. And so I just feel like if we want to help people, small businesses, all kinds of folks who are trying to make it here, maybe this would have been a great way to have thrown a lot of business to people during a pandemic. And yes, there are some things that are made in America. I think the equestrian gloves are made in Massachusetts. Like there are some things, but I just think everything should be made here. And that is what I feel petty about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about our U.S. textile team? We we should give them a chance on the international stage. that's That's a very good point. And I don't think it's that. I think it's like, somewhat petty, but you make an important larger point. Let's just make it in America, people, at least for the Olympics. <laughs> and like, I know that it's a, it's more expensive at times to make it in America, but there are a lot of t-shirt, amazing t-shirt companies and cotton that use cotton that are out in LA that are making all kinds of great stuff and specifically in LA. And I just feel like a lot of low hanging fruit. We're letting rot again, Aaron. Yeah. Also, like, it's not like they don't have money. Right. It's not like the, you know, American, it's not like the Olympics in the U.S. is not a money generating enterprise. For real. You know, I like the idea of like giving small businesses like opportunities. The unfortunately, as I said, I've been traumatized. So like similarly to when I see like a U.S. flag in someone's house, I'm like, racist when I hear like make things in America I hear like America first and I'm like oh no 
disassociate yourself from that, Julissa, because that's not that's <laughs> I need I need I need oh, therapy. Lisa, I'm talking about lovely women, lovely women and men in Los Angeles who are making well-crafted t-shirts. I am like, down with I just that. feel like if we're making shit that says USA on it, it shouldn't be made in China. I mean, that's yeah. a good point. That's it. I mean, it reminds me of like Donald Trump's like hats that were like made in China, even not made in America. <laughs> exactly. This is exactly my point. If you are such a fucking patriot, Donald Trump, anything that has the American flag on it should not be made in China. But who am I? Who am I? I'm just a snowflake <laughs> liberal. Oh, man. I really do think that conservatives have taken back Snowflake with a vengeance because there is no more sensitive group of people in the entire world than American conservatives whining about, I don't know, Dr. Seuss or not understanding women's soccer, which is another thing that happened this week. Um <laughs> That's all the time we have for the show. Julissa and Tian, thank you so much for joining me. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die per use. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us and subscribe and tell your friends. And if you want to submit something for a future Fuck That Guy segment or you just want to send us a note, we can be reached at hysteria at crooked.com. We look forward to being with you next week. I am from another planet. This nation Hysteria is a crooked media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Malconian and Magic Root. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week.